There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're very welcome to Friday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. It's a love bug week all this week on Late Lunch. Thanks to our friends in the wonderful Glenside Hotel. Well, you know, we want to hear what bugs you about the love of your life. And today on the show, I have a 100 euro voucher for Henry's at the Glenside to give away to one of you. It's a fabulous restaurant in the hotel there. 100 euro to be won today on Late Lunch. Just tell me what bugs you about the love of your life. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me or you can send me a voice or WhatsApp in as well and we'll have a chat with one of you before the end of the show and you'll be going to Henry's with 100 euro to spend lovely jubbly and don't forget Valentine's Day is next Tuesday and the people at the Glenside Hotel are there to look after your love needs yes they are it's been completely refurbished all the bedrooms there why not give them a shout romantic Valentine's dinner breakfast the next morning they are there for Valentine's Day for you this year. Check them out. Glensidehotel.com is the website or give them a little tinkle on the phone. They'd be delighted to hear from you. Welcome to the show. Lots to come over the next couple of hours, including, oh my word, don't miss this. I head to a snowdrop wonderland just outside Slane with the wonderful Rosie May. That's coming up after half two on the show today and much more besides. But first today, I mentioned at the end of the show yesterday, breaking news, the wonderful Bert Bacharach, legendary composer, passed away yesterday and what a legacy he's left behind him. And our good friend, composer Brian Byrne from Navin, was posting on social media last night about him and how he met Bert Bacharach for the first time. But Brian, unfortunately, can't be with us today. But he mentioned a man called Frank Lyons. And you see, Frank Lyons is a good friend of Brian's and of Bert Bacharach's as well and introduced Brian to Bert Bacharach Frank himself well what a man he's a jockey agent he's an on-air horse racing analyst a bloodstock agent and a seasoned racehorse trainer and he joins me on the line good afternoon Frank Jerry. I'm really good. Thanks for joining me on the show today. You might just recount briefly uh, that wee story that Brian posted last night involving yourself. You introduced Brian to Bert Backrack. Well, it was one evening. Um, I, I was sitting at home and it was actually my aunt that uh, uh, called me and told me about Brian Byrne coming over to uh, Los Angeles and he didn't know anyone. And so I said, well, give him my number and have, have him call me. So it was, um, it was about four months later, 
and I hadn't heard from Brian. So Brian had called me after a few months, and he, uh, he'd come out to Los Angeles, and I didn't even know what Brian did. And uh, so he said, I met your, uh, your aunt and your, your godmother uh, at a party. And I said, yeah, I remember that. And uh, I said, let's... So we'll hook up on, on Sunday, uh, I said, uh, uh, we'll go for a couple of points. And then I hung up with him, and uh, then about 10 minutes later, Bert called me, and he said to me, what are you doing on Sunday? And I said, uh, I said I'm actually, I have this friend in town from Ireland, and I'm going to meet him. And he said, uh, well, look, uh, bring, him, bring him over to the house, and we'll have a bit of dinner. And uh, so I said, oh, okay, okay. So I called Brian back, and I said, uh, Brian, have you ever heard of a guy called Bert Bacharach? He said to me, you're, you're kidding me, right? And uh, so I said, no, 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 no. Uh, so we're going to go over to his house on Sunday for dinner. And Brian didn't even tell me, but then on the way over to the house, he told me, he said, I'm actually a composer, and I've just finished um, uh, doing a... Um, uh, like uh, I think it was uh, it was with another guy that I uh, uh, can't remember what his name was, but he'd done a, a Burt Bacharach album, a uh, you know a tribute album uh, to Burt Bacharach, and Brian had worked on it. Oh, so I was like, oh okay. So uh, Brian never said anything to Burt that night. We sat at the table with Burt. It was uh, uh, about uh, you know five other guests there, all chatting and. We sat at the table and we had uh, a bit of wine, and uh, so uh, then Brian wasn't saying anything. He, he wasn't drinking, and so Bert said to him, well, "Why don't you drink, Brian?" And uh, Brian said, "Well, I have to finish this album for uh, Chicago in the morning and eight hours, and I don't want to be drunk. <laughs> uh, you know, finishing the album is my first my first shot at uh, you know uh, doing uh, doing the album for um, Chicago." And so he, uh, so he, he was like, Bert was like, oh, you're a, uh, uh, you're a composer. Uh, and he said, yeah, I'm a composer. And then that changed the whole thing for Bert. Uh, you know, we got up and uh, we left the table and Bert uh, went into his studio. And Bert had actually done uh, 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 some work with the Isley Brothers that morning. And so he played what he had, uh, you know, what he had recorded with the Isley Brothers, and it was uh, it was a great evening, you know. Oh. It was a, a, fa a fabulous evening, and uh, you know, uh, Bert always asked me how is Brian doing after that because Brian left a, a very good impression on Bert. Yes, and it was actually yeah. years later, like about ten years later. Um, I actually had my baby shower for my son Jack over at uh, Bert's house, and there was a you know there was about thirty of us, and uh, so I said to Bert, I said, Bert, and I'd never say this to Bert, Bert, I said, is there any chance that uh, Brian can play your piano? And he said, who, who? I said Brian. He said, who's Brian? I said, well, that's the guy that came to the uh, came to, uh, to the to the house with um, with uh, with me. Uh, that remember years ago, and we went there, and he was like, oh, okay. He said, uh, 
Yeah, sure. He, uh, yeah, he complained that he would never, ever let anyone play that piano. Mm. And so Brian got up and uh, played the piano for about 30 of us and just played it just so beautifully. And Bert looked at me and he said, damn, he can sure play that out-of-tune piano. <laughs> Frank, you can tell him, Frank Lines, there's no doubt about it. What a story that is. But look at the man Bert Bacharach, that's uh, why you're with us today. What a connection that is, and well done to Brian. Sure, he's a genius in his own right, he is indeed. But what about Bacharach? What was he like, you know, for all his brilliance and the wonderful songs he wrote and everything? What was he like? He was just an absolute sweetheart, a gentleman, so unassuming. Uh, he was just, uh, just. I feel so honoured to have uh, hung out with him through the years, been friends with him, you know, uh, like we confided in each other. And, um, uh, you know, sad that he's gone. Uh, he was just so generous such a loving father. I know the reason that he lived to be 93 was because of his love for music. He, sa- he said to me one day, he said to me, uh, he'd had eight hours back surgery at 83 years old. He got out of bed one day and just fell down. And he, they, um, they found out that he'd fractured a vertebrae in his back and he couldn't walk. So he had to face either living the rest of his life in a wheelchair or uh, face eight hours back surgery at 83. So he had uh, uh, the eight-hour back surgery and lived through that. And he was going on tour one time, and he had to go to Australia on tour. And he said to me, he said, "Ah, I don't want to go... to uh, Australia, he said, um, uh, you know, he, he was just like complaining about it. And I said to him, I said, what are you talking about? I said, you love the fact that you're going to Australia. And he got a grin on his face, you know, he said, uh, and I said, you just love the fact that you're still like, you know, relevant. And he sold out like eight, maybe it was maybe like seven years ago, he sold out for five nights they had to add two nights to the concert uh, in Australia because they absolutely adored him in Australia Mm. and all over the world you know that yeah yeah, and you look at Glastonbury the famous Glastonbury festival as recent as 2015 he stole the show there yeah yeah Wonderful yeah. man, wonderful man, but yeah. generous with his time, generous obviously towards other people, uh, welcoming of Brian, which he did from the word go. You couldn't really say enough about him. And look at his musical legacy, Frank. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, like, you know, when you meet like 30-year-olds or 20-year-olds and they really aren't that familiar with Bert's music, they are familiar with Bert's music, but they don't know mm. the music that he wrote. I mean, like, his resume of music is second to none. Yeah. You know, he's the only singer-songwriter to ever write a song for the Beatles, other than the Beatles. Mm which is some testament to the man himself. Uh, But, you know, music, as you say, in his life was so important to him, but family, friends, you name it, and all the people he touched, and will touch forevermore with all those wonderful songs that he wrote. He's a huge loss. Yeah. Yeah. I used to say to him, I said, you're the only man that I know that makes money while he sleeps. (laughs) 
Frank, if only we could all do that, but uh, it is a gift only uh, bestowed on some of us. Listen, you're very kind to join us today. You're a great storyteller, and I wish you well with all you do as well, Frank. Thank you very much, Jerry. Thank you for joining me on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks a million. That's Frank Lyons there. Wonderful, wonderful man. He's involved in the Bloodstock game over there. Horse race trainer. He comments on it. He's an agent for jockeys and he's a wonderful, wonderful guy in his own right and a very good friend of our Brian Byrne from Navin and, of course, Bert Bacharach as well. Well, Frank mentioned there the songs. So I'm just looking at, and this is only some of the songs he wrote. He teamed up with Hal David. Him and Hal David were great buddies and wrote an awful lot of songs together. But when you consider Going Back, The Story of My Life by Marty Robbins, Magic Moments, Perry Como, Gene Pitney, 24 Hours from Tulsa, The Walker Brothers, Make It Easy on Yourself, Dion Warwick, The Look of Love, Walk On By, Do You Know the Way to San Jose? Did you know he wrote his well, what's new pussycat for Tom Jones? He did indeed. A song we played a couple of weeks ago on Late Lunch. Brilliant. Raindrops keep falling on my head from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. But today, in tribute to the great man, we want to play this one. Yes, it's Miss Dusty Springfield with a Burt Bacharach classic. I just don't know what to do with myself. Don't know just what to do with myself I'm so used to doing everything with you Planning everything for two And now that we're through I just don't know what to do with my time I'm so lonesome for you, it's a crime Dusty Springfield with a Burt Bacharach classic. I just don't know what to do with myself. The great man passing away yesterday at the age of 93. We remember him today on Late Lunch. And thanks again to Frank Lyons, who joined us a few moments ago. Late Lunch, LMFM Radio. What bugs you about the one you love? I have a €100 voucher for Henry's at the Glenside to give to one of you. 086-1800-658. Get in touch with me now by WhatsApp or text or a WhatsApp voice if you'd like to as well. And I want to give that €100 voucher to one of you ahead of Valentine's Day next Tuesday. Short break up next on the show, motorbike racing or road racing as it's known. Well, the future of it is in jeopardy. We're talking about it next. A statement issued yesterday from the Motorcycle Union of Ireland Ulster Centre is bad news for bikers and those who race because it looks like in Ulster at the moment uh, they won't be able to stage their programme this year because of insurance issues. Dermot Corcoran is Secretary and PRO of Kells Road Races and he joins me. Afternoon Dermot. Hi, Gary. How are you? I'm Not good. Uh, thanks for taking our call uh, on the show today. Uh, what do you make of this and what are the implications for yourselves? Yeah, so first things first, um, it's strange talking at this time of year. We normally talk around uh, June, close to our races. But look, it's very upsetting for, so personally for myself, it's, um, you know, uh, 
I love racing, and most people who are, who who run the clubs and stuff, we uh, we lo- like we love the sport. But hearing this is like it's devastating news, especially the way it works in Ireland. You have the motorcycle union of Ireland. You have an ultra centre and a southern centre, so especially up north now, where you have like prestigious races like the Northwest 200, the mm. Ultra Grand Prix. Like you'd have the big races that'd be second only to the Isle of Man. Yes. So to see those guys in price out, out, out of the market, it's uh, it's hard news to take. You know, it's. Um, very disappointing for the clubs because people have built their livelihood around this sport um, it has a massive international following as well and we're having our own problems down south as well too which we'll probably get to a bit later on but um, no it's not good news it's not the news anybody wanted last night and it's public it's the public liability uh, insurance that is the issue here it's the cost of it this year uh, they've looked at this and uh, most events or clubs say it's just out of the ballpark that's the bottom line is it yeah, it's um, so you put liability and personal injury insurance yes. there, so it's kind of two of them, and it's just it's just beyond. Like we were looking at twenty five thousand say to run cows. That's that's what our insurance was between twenty and twenty five thousand, but like it's tripled up, up up north for them. So they're up in the sixties and fifty thousand per race. So down south now we're in a bit of a dictum as well. We're missing out on uh, one of the insurance companies haven't got back on board with this year. So we are struggling to get cover now. Mm. So you know, kind of trends, and we all know the way insurance companies work. We've had the issues with adventure uh, play centres and stuff like that, and adventure uh, recreations, but they struggle to get insurance as well, the way the, the prices go. Yeah. And it's just with the culture and the way claims and stuff has gone, unfortunately. Uh, so, public liability, personal injury, both covered off here by the uh, premium. So, bring it back to Kells and your, the Kells road races. If it jumped to that level, and you're talking about a tripling of the previous uh, premium there from 25, you say, to 60, 70,000, could you go ahead with an increase like that or would you be uh, wiped out this year as well? In a word, No. Um, like it's one of these sports where very few people know the riders actually pay an entry fee because of the high cost of running a road of a road race. It's a hundred thousand plus to put on an event like that that we fundraise all ourselves. That's all through sponsorships, uh, through fundraising. We have Ireland's biggest ride out again on this March too. So that's all through fundraising. That's all through our own, own fundraising. It just it's not feasibly possible for a small club like that, and it's a part time supposedly hobby <laughs> to have mm, mm. but it turns into a second job like I was up late last night I was on the phone all driving into work this morning at, I think I was heading to the gym this morning I got a phone call I were chatting about it at half six this morning so it just consumes like it's all consuming so there's no way that we could as a small club cover that like we're looking at ideas like let the riders enter for free and up the price of the gate but then you're passing on the, the price then to other people we're talking about having um GoFundMe pages set up so if we informed a little bit sooner what the situation was um, we might have had a bit more time to react but it's all kind of all the bad news is coming at once mm. and it's very hard to react but obviously every year there's negotiations with insurance companies and you're always expecting you know they'll always try and get a little bit more and a little bit more mm. but that's what we're waiting for was the negotiation to come, come, come through and then we'd find out exactly how much we had to pay this year but as you can see now from the north, it's not going well. Mm. The Ulster people, I just have read the statement here through, uh, th- they're continuing to work on this and uh, they say they're doing their very best to resolve the situation. But again, they caution that it, it, it's not straightforward. And obviously, if it applies to them, it's certainly going to apply to yourselves and everybody in this uh, uh, jurisdiction as well. 
Uh, for people who love this sport and adore it and it's their lives, they just give it everything. Um, this scenario is must be just devastating. Do you think there'll be, be no racing? Yeah, at the moment it's unbelievable. It's not quite sinking in, I'm sure, for a lot of people. You know, there's a lot of bewilderment and stuff at the moment that, you know, there's no direction now. There's an awful loss of direction, you know. People found that whole summer's around it for years, for generations. This this is going on, you know, Saturday, Friday, Friday, Saturday or Sunday, whatever, you know what I say, to go and race them for the weekend. This is all stopped. Yeah. And all the companies that work around us, be it our catering companies, be it people who tune engines, build bikes, who supply the tyres, who supply all that. So that whole knock-on effect yes. is going to be massive. Mm, it, so, is, it is yeah. indeed. Look, um, just wanted to air it today. I, I, I wish you well, uh, and we'll follow this and keep an eye on it and see how it goes. But at the moment, uh, it's in flux for sure. Uh, but I know you're working hard on this, oh, and we wish you well with it. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Harry. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining me, Dermot. Take care of yourself. That's Dermot Corcoran there, Secretary and PRO of Kells Road Races, another sport affected and pastime or whatever you like to call it by the insurance uh, issue. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Let's do this now. We watch TV. TV themes with Jerry Kelly on the Late Lunch. Remember that TV movie we saw? TV, TV, TV. Now, do you know that one? That TV show. Do you know it? I have a lovely prize to give away to one of you on late lunch this afternoon. Flares and all. Yes, that's a little a little hint or a little clue for you there on uh, that one. The Beast from the East. What's this all about? Who's predicting this? Where is that coming from? That's just scaremongering in my book. So they can only tell the weather a few days ahead. They'll admit that themselves. I don't know what happens at times. Let's see. It may come. It may come. It may not. You know yourself, Ireland. Myself and Louise were just talking this morning. Weather. So we talk incessantly about the weather in this country. But that's scaremongering the beast from the east. You'll probably be lashing me in a couple of weeks when you can't get out your front doors. You'll be saying, there you are now. There's one for you. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Anyway, we'll see what happens down the road. Now, my next guest on the show, I'm really looking forward to having a chat with her because back in 2012, she received an MS diagnosis. But my God almighty, what this woman has achieved since is incredible. Not alone herself has she helped. She's helped hundreds of women with MS to transform their lives with her award-winning success formula. I'm delighted to say hello to Karen Dwyer. Hi, Karen. Hello, hello. Nice to be on with you. Thanks for inviting me. Not at all. I was so looking forward all week to having a chat with you on the show. Take us back, will you, to 2012, this diagnosis you got. How were you, like, before 2012? Did you feel there was something coming on? You know what? I knew there was something happening. My youngest child was just six months. So, you know, post having a baby, everything is a little bit all over the place anyway. So you're trying to decipher, is this postpartum you know is this just tiredness and you know with a newborn not sleeping but I really just didn't feel good and I couldn't put my finger on what it was and it wasn't until I had numbness in two fingers on my hand and going up my forearm and I went into the hospital because I thought that's a little bit strange and I remember there was a really good looking doctor Dr. O'Shea in the emergency room that said look unless you've slept on it funny and 
you know, it, it, there's nothing really to it. Look, but he see he could see that I was worried. So he said, look, come back in for an MRI in a couple of weeks and, you know, we'll have you looked after. But a few days after that, the numbness grew all down the right-hand side of my body. And I only recognised that when I was drying my hair after getting out of the shower and I couldn't feel the heat on my head. And I knew then it was like, okay, there's something up. Mm. So I got myself back into the emergency room and they took me straight down for an MRI this time. And when I was brought back up, they brought me into a smaller room and I kind of knew then, oh, okay, they're going to tell me something that they obviously didn't want to tell me in a normal emergency room ward. And the doctor said that the number of lesions on my brain and spine would have been normal for an 80-year-old. And try was only in my early 30s. So, um, yeah, it wasn't, it was a, it was a fairly scary time. But mm. um, I must say, the, the, the kind of three prevailing emotions at the time was, I, I first of all had relief because I had a name to put on the kind of strangeness that I was feeling. And then, of course, I'd fear because, you know, they were after wheeling me up and down in a wheelchair. And I didn't, honestly, and I, I feel a little bit ashamed to say this, but I didn't really know what multiple sclerosis was. Mm. My only vision of it was somebody in a wheelchair. And I remember getting this news and being in a wheelchair going, oh, is, is this what's going to happen to me? And, uh, and, you know, how long is that going to take? And then the third thing, and this was... Um, this kind of took me a little bit by surprise because I felt like I had some hope that came from I don't know where, but I felt like there was nearly like a light on in my tummy. And I felt like it was beaming really brightly and it was saying to me, you know what, you're going to be okay and you're going to get through this. And now it didn't feel like that all the time for the next few years, I'm like, dad, but um, yes. that's kind of how I was how I was diagnosed mm. first. Yeah, mm. so. It's scary, like uh, in your 30s, uh, family and all that and then to, you know, be given this news. But look, obviously you went off then and you got into this and started to research and find out and look at, you know, what the prospects were, what was there to help you. How did you, you know, come to the point where you were able to deal with your own MS? How did you do that? Yeah, it's a great question. I was forced into it, if if that's the most honest <laughs> answer I could give you. So I, when I was diagnosed first, I had a great medical team and I was given medication to learn how to inject myself and all these things. And it was, uh, yeah, it was hard. I, I, like the, the side effects that I had were, and not everybody does, but I had, had quite severe side effects. But at, at, at one point, a few years after, like trial and error and what I felt like being a guinea pig, trying all these different uh, medications, at one point, my liver count was seven times higher than it should have been. I collapsed driving on the M50 and I was taken straight into hospital. And they said, okay, we need to take you off all medication straight away. Your body's having a severe reaction. I had some acute um, infection on my brain. So I was, I had to come off all medication, which was scary because I felt like I was up, you know, the creek with no paddle. Mm. And it was like, okay, I now have to do something by myself without kind of sitting back and relying on doctors or, you know, because I saw my doctor you know, two, three, sometimes four times a year, depending if I'd had relapses or not. But like it was daily life. But I found hard to deal with, like debilitating tiredness, like that chronic fatigue is something awful. And then I I just felt um, I was retreating into myself and kind of shying away from everyone because I didn't want anyone to realise how scared I was. So it really took a lot of effort to go out and meet people or to even be around family because Mm. I knew everyone was worried about me already. 
and I didn't want them worried about me more or treating me differently or worse yet than telling me what to do. <laughs> we all know that feeling. You know? um, so it would take a lot of effort to kind of put the smile on my face, you yes. know, yes, and get on with it. So I was forced into finding, you know, other alternatives to have me looked after and look, you know, I've had a lot of success now, but for every success that I've had, I've had at least 20 failures. You know, I've tried everything from, oh my goodness, I'm trying to think, I spent, oh, tens and tens and tens of thousands, if not more, on different healing modalities and some were great and some cheaper, I mean, you know, didn't, didn't do a tap, but I started then feeling a little bit better. So the things that did work, I'll name for you because they're I think, yes, the useful ones. Yeah. Um, the first thing was dealing with my own stress and dealing with, you know, some stuff in my past that I felt um, angry over. You know, I practice some forgiveness with people in my life, first of all. And I know that seems very unattached to MS. However, when you look at the brain-body stress connection, there are so many studies now on on psychoneuroimmunology and how our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions and our stress levels can affect disease um, and how it comes about in our body. So I started working on that, first of all. I started practicing gratitude. And I know that sounds really woo-woo and a little bit fluffy. And when I heard about it first, I I had some expletives, if I'm honest. I was like, what the hell has gratitude got to do? Or how is that going to help me? Do you know, because mm. at this point I had given up my career. I was on an invalidity pension and I really felt like I had, hadn't anything going for me. And when someone said, you know, what are you grateful for? I felt like telling them to go and jump. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a mom with two kids on an invalidity pension, no job, having to put out my hand to someone. And, and at the time, you know, it was a rocky relationship, you know, a new baby, mm. a disease diagnosis and, you know, <laughs> and trying to survive on one income in, a, in, a, in an expensive society. Um, it was hard when I started working on that. And then I started looking at my stress levels. I started meditating. But then once I started practicing gratitude, I started to feel differently about myself. I don't know if you've heard the phrase before. I think it was Wayne Dyer that said it. When you change how you look at things, the things you look at change. Yes. And that really did. And it, but there was one particular point I was walking from my mum's house to the shops with my youngest daughter in a stroller. And I remember stopping to smell these flowers that had grown over somebody's back wall. And they were so beautiful. I, st- I clearly remember the moment. And I remember thinking, wow, I really have stuff to smell the roses. Like, I'm starting to, I felt like there was light starting to get in. And once that kind of, my mood started to change, I felt like I wanted to have conversations with people again. Like, I felt like I had maybe something to contribute in a chat because I felt like anytime I was around people, I was kind of holding back because I didn't want to moan. I didn't want to be seen as a complainer. Um and I just didn't have anything to kind of add to a conversation, whereas I felt like a bit more outgoing. Then I started to change, you know, how I was eating. I started to research what things are good and bad for autoimmune and chronic illnesses. And then I started moving a little bit more. I lost some weight and, and, and again, then tried loads more modalities to the point where, you know, I'm going back for my sometimes three months, sometimes six months uh, MRIs and then meeting my neurologist. And he kept saying over the space of a couple of years, you know, what have you been doing? And I'd be listing all these things like meditation, gratitude, eating well, vitamin D, all these things. And he'd kind of look at me sideways and then, all right, you, you know, <laughs> right you are. And then one day um, I went in, he goes, okay, Karen, 
we need to talk about this MRI. And I remember thinking, oh God, what's wrong? Has it progressed? Because if I had progressed any more, I had to go on this very serious medication and, and I was really scared about it. So anyway, I said, okay, well, what's going on? I remember looking at him, trying to look at how he was breathing, how he was looking at me, kind of bracing myself for bad news. And he said, well, whatever you're doing, you've got to keep on doing it because your lesions have all shrunk and your MS has burnt out. And I was kind of stunned for a minute. And I thought, well, oh, I don't know what that means. I said, am I cured? And he said, oh, we don't use that word. And I said, well, wh- what is it then? I said, am I in remission? He goes, we don't reuse that word really, really either. So you're going to have to give me some word because I don't understand burnt out. And he said, um, sometimes people in their 50s or 60s, the disease can naturally fizzle out. And you've had that now. So whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Wow. After that MRI regressed or whatever happened, your MS, this happens because of what you've done yourself. When was that second or that MRI that showed it had, had regressed? What year was that? Oh, goodness me, probably 2015 or yes. 16. Yeah, yeah. Three, three to four years after you were initially diagnosed. And, you know, um, when, when you get that news, oh my God, what wonderful news to get. Were you on any medication? Then, no, I was on medication for about two years and then I had to come off because, right. because of the, the effects. That yes. Like. And look, it's really important for me to say, I don't recommend anybody to come off medication. That was of course. a decision that I had to make that I was told yes. that I had to do. I don't, medication can work absolutely brilliantly. So just a really important point because I don't promote that. I'm not yes. qualified to say that. Or, yes, you know. yes, and we understand that. And by the way, uh, there's a lovely message here just arrived from you, for you, from another Karen who says, Jerry, I'm on Karen's programme. And she has pulled this programme together brilliantly. Uh, uh, and I'm enjoying the journey. Isn't that lovely to hear from somebody else? No way. Yes, 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 yes. Ah, uh, but isn't it just. That beautiful? Yeah, it is beautiful. And, and it just shows you that, you know, you have uh, a lot of people who've uh, taken on board what you've done and it has helped them, which is wonderful, wonderful to say. So when I, sur- when I summarise what you did, you mentioned the gratitude, being grateful for what you have. Uh, getting any anger you had in your system towards anybody out of your system, your your food, what you ate, the exercise, anything else? Yeah, I suppose like the, the process that I now, you know, like looking back and then trying to pull it all together so that I could hopefully help some other people. The first thing was around calming like hidden inflammation. That was the first thing. Um, and I suppose I, I did that myself. And then looking back, it was, you know, removing stress, making sure that I was getting, you know, good quality sleep, eating the correct foods. Because sometimes we can think inflammation is is purely food, but there's so many things that can affect, like stressful thoughts can affect inflammation. Not getting, you know, good sleep can affect it. Exercising too much can actually affect inflammation as well. So it was getting the body back aligned. It was like getting all your eggs in a row, um, all your chickens in a row, whatever whatever Mm -hmm. the saying is. So calming the hidden inflammation first. And then the, the next thing was really assessing your stress triggers. You know, what because it, it's all well and good calming those things. But then it's like, okay, well, what, what ways do we deal with stress on a daily basis? Because it can be all well and good to forgive things from the past or mm. to eat well and to exercise. But if you're constantly dealing with stress coming up in your life, well, that's just going to keep on going. It's like, you know, putting out a fire and then putting some petrol in another match on it again. So it's finding new ways to deal with stress triggers and finding new 
neural pathways of that connection in your body so you intercept them and you're not getting that that normal response. Um, and then the third thing is, you know, really practicing and perfecting optimal health. And that's different for everyone. And this is where it's um, it's not one size fits all. I, I gave a TEDx talk about this. I'm so passionate because I've seen like so many there's like courses and things that you're being told what to do. And God, I, I looked online and ended up coming away feeling more scared than inspired most of the time because it's all horror stories you know, of people not doing well or people giving out. There's, there's not very many helpful things online that are guided and someone that you can speak to. But it's, it, in my opinion and in my experience, particularly with my clients, it's not one size fits all. Like somebody could be exercising really well but might want to have a healthy diet, but they've loads of other people at home to cook for or take care of and they might think that they just eat, you know, cook different foods every day. And that in itself is a stress. Mm. So it's making life work for people in such a way that they have themselves looked after. And also a lot of the time what I see with clients is, and, and you know, I still do this myself and you probably do as well, it's much easier to look after other people than it is ourselves. Yes. Yes. So much easier. Yeah. We, and, and I know so many people like that as well. You're spot on. They actually, at the yeah. expense of their own health and well-being, yeah. They want to do it for others. And, it, you know, it begins with number one, which you saw as well. And if you're not right, you know what I mean? Uh, well, yeah. then the problems are, are immense indeed. You're obviously very well today. Would you say that as well, as well more, better than you ever expected from the time you got that diagnosis? I'm in the best health of my life. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big I'm probably statement. the happiest in my life as yeah. well. Yeah. Yes. I get that. I yeah. get that. I get that all the way with you. I, I feel it, even though we're, <laughs> we're not together. In this, I feel it and I felt that when we started talking as well. And that is obviously a Thank big you. part of, you know, you and your recovery. So do you have MRIs periodically or what happens now? Or are you monitored well from the, you know, the health point of view, uh, the main channel with the doctors and specialists, etc.? I go back every couple of years to right. make my mother happy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> As you have to do. <laughs> Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. <laughs> 
mummies, the mummies always need the thing. But I don't, I don't feel the need to, if I'm being really honest. But I, I do it for my mom just so that she's, you know, settled and uh, yeah, and you know, and she has that confidence. But I, I have all the confidence already. I, I you know, I don't feel yes. the need to. But, but uh, that's a great question. Yeah, <laughs> good on you, good on you. So w- there are people listening to us today that uh, have had an MS diagnosis and are living with it, and people will be di- there are people diagnosed all the time. How can they find out more about you and what you do? Sure. So there's a couple of ways. Um, I created a free masterclass online that it's like forty minute or so talk, and I put together my experience, some of my clients' experience, and the things that I believe can make a difference. The people will find that at ms2success.com. So www.msto.success.com. Um, they can look up my website. It's not great now, but look, it's there. It does the job. It's karendwire.com. Um, I'm on Instagram under I am Karen Dwyer or the same on Facebook. I'm not terribly active on social media, but there's things there and they can message me or whatever else. And uh, or if people want to book in for a chat to see if there's mm. um, any ways they can do it, they're, they're welcome to do that too. Of course. Maybe that's a reason, another reason for your success that you're not that active on social media. That'll be another thing you'll be including in uh, the months and years ahead, I can assure you. And by the way, did you ever see that doctor you met in 2012 when you had the glint in your eye, even though you were facing, you know what? Dr. Oshin, I found I found my own knight in shining armour. So I'm good. <laughs> I know you are. I know you are indeed. Uh, look, it's your inspirational, honestly, and it, it's a really positive news story on the MS front. And as you said, and that's very important to say that uh, medication and uh, healthcare plays a huge part with so many people as well in this whole area. So it does. But look, your story is inspiring. What you've achieved is remarkable. And again, I uh, point to people to check you out on ms2success.com. It's been great chatting to you today. You've made my day and brightened my weekend ahead. Oh, I really appreciate your time. And thanks for listening, whoever's there. Thank you for the lovely question. Not at all. You're lovely. Thank you, Karen. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Karen Dwyer there. What a wonderful, wonderful lady. And we wish her well in the future. Late Lunch, LMFM Radio, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text if you want to contact us on the show. Break on the way. Stay with me because I, I want you to listen and, and, and enjoy uh, the next uh, segment on the show today. Because you see, I'm out among the snowdrops and I'll tell you, it's just marvellous. And I've been uh, so happy since I paid a visit to Rosie May. It's coming up next on Late Lunch. I'm starting a new feature on Late Lunch and I'll just tell you the background to it. I interviewed this wonderful lady late last year and... I got a thought afterwards to say, God Almighty, wouldn't this be fascinating to go visit her, her beautiful garden and home through the year. So that's what we're starting on late lunch today at the start of February. As I say, the start of spring, even though some people would dispute that with me. Anyway, I'm just outside Slane and I'm joined by Rosie May, better known as the Insomniac Gardener. I've just walked through the gates and I am so impressed. Thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. It's great for you to see it in person, actually, because really, I don't think the photos can can really explain what the place looks like. Because with the Hill of Slane, don't they always call that borrowed landscape? 
the garden itself is on three acres, but with the borrowed landscape, as, it, as it's called, it just looks like it's immersed in the County Meath countryside. Yeah. And we are looking at the Hillis Lane yeah. straight across yeah. a view from the front of the house here yeah. and the gardens. Tell our listeners first the story of this house and this place. When did you come here? 20 years ago. And my husband had gotten a job in Dubai, actually. And then we said, why are we going to Dubai when we really want to live in the countryside? So we just found this place and it doesn't make any sense because it's an old house. I always say it's a labour of love or madness. Uh, The house itself had been abandoned for about 50 years. It was built with the yards between 1791 and 1830. And a lot of old uh, stone, limestone walls, as you can see. My husband did a course in lime mortar and we just set to. I wanted a big garden. There were the huge trees and nothing else. And then I just kept planting. And then, I mean, it made loads of mistakes, you know, but sure, don't you learn? That's the way you learn. We learn from our mistakes in life. So how much garden have you? How many acres here? Uh, There's almost three acres, yeah. And it's the house is, as you can see, it's on a hill. Mullah means crest of the hill and then with the valley in front of us and then the other hill in front of us it's really an ideal location and you can hear our neighbours the crows oh, we hear them <laughs> as well up there they're getting ready to build they are my dad uh, I'm from Dunchocklin originally and my dad always said that they start the crows start to build on the 1st of March and he's not wrong Literally, you should see, it's a hive of activity. We've up to about 80 nests here in the in the summertime, you know. Very busy place. <laughs> a very busy place. And it's lovely to hear them. But what's caught my attention, just inside your gate, on the left-hand side, yeah. look at the thousands and thousands of snowdrops. You've just hit on my favourite flower. I have a few posh ones, I call posh ones over there, that I've been gifted by friends, galanthophiles. But these are my parents' snowdrops. I always tell a joke that they're snowdrop thieves because back in the 50s, when they were building their house, they found an abandoned farmhouse near them and they dug up a few clumps. For 60 years, they kind of spread them around the garden and really then they were undisturbed for probably the best part of about 50 years. When they both passed away, my husband and I went over and dug them all up and brought them here. And now over the last six to seven years, uh, every year, my friend Brida helps me in the garden, thank God, because she's amazing. Brida and I dig them up when they're gone over and then we maybe plant twos, threes, fives, sevens, wherever we want them to establish. And so this is the result. So your efforts spread them, in other words. In other words, you divide them at the end of flowering and you move them along and that's how you have such a colonisation of them there. They're absolutely beautiful. What a lovely story, your parents. Yeah, and it's funny because I I say I have three types kind of of the common snowdrop. That's just um, Galanthus nivalis. They're the tall, just the common snowdrop, which I think the the word common is terribly unfair because they're so beautiful. And then I have another one, which was actually here, um, in the, we moved in in December uh, 2002 and then in the February I was delighted because a few little bulbs came up and I was like, oh, what are they? Snowdrops. But they're the flora plano, they're the little double ones. Mm. So they're really lovely. And then I actually got on a bargain bench, then I got another kind of common variety and I can't pronounce it, but it's Waronii or something like that. But it's got a really strappy green leaf. Uh, Dunshockland snowdrops, Mulladillon snowdrops and then my bargain snowdrops. <laughs> Fantastic. So when did they appear first and when will they go off and fade? Well, actually earlier and earlier. It depends on the weather really. I've photographs. That's the wonderful thing about actually having the Instagram thing because it's a real great way of a record and I, I go back to maybe this time last year and I can just see the dates. But really they start to appear 
early January, mm. you know, and uh, uh, this was a cold winter, but like in previous times, they've been in bloom in January, but really they've, they've really just come into their own in the last week. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So we're seeing them at their best here Absolutely. at the start of the second yeah. month of the year. Yeah. Let's walk along okay. and have a look. Yeah. Oh, look at them here just yeah. around the base of the, the tree. tree. Aren't yeah. they lovely? And do you see them down there? Yes. We planted those in the grass. And I just look as we pass the house here. They're yeah. everywhere. They're the everywhere. snowdrops look, are everywhere. Look. Over here. There's my posh ones over there. You see them? Oh, let, let's go to okay, the posh, posh ones. They're much bigger, aren't yeah. they, in the flower as well? Yeah, yes. Yeah, that's uh, a beautiful one, actually. I was, I love that. Um, Robert uh, from Altamont Plants gave me that, actually. And I'm delighted with it. It's, uh, it's called Comet. And I love it. It's really tall to see, and it's quite a big flower. And then do you see over this side here? There's um, a lovely one called Jacquinetta. And then That's a different a, one, is it? Let's one. walk around yeah. here. And there's other colour here as well, I have to say, rosy oh, yes. besides. Oh, yes, look at the difference in that one there. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And then this is, um, these are hellebores. And this is my favourite. This one is Madame Lemonnier. Isn't that a beautiful name? Mm. And Naomi, which is a nice black. But I think they make a nice contrast with the snowdrops. But can I just show you over here? You think they're all created equal, but actually... What I love is to look inside them. Oh, my word. I've never seen that before. Yeah, look, look at, at that design. And see the green tips on the edges of this one. And then look, a double, like yes. really beautiful double. Oh. Um, now, I know very little about, you know, gosh, I mean, there's people who, you know, collect, you know, hundreds and hundreds of varieties of snowdrops. Mm. But um, this is one I'm really keen to establish, Helen Tomlinson. And it grows really tall. And do you see the, the colour of the leaf? It's more kind of glaucous. It know, is. You know, There's a shade of grey in it. There is, isn't there? And then this little pretty one here, um, because of my love of theatre, I had to buy this one. This is Puck. Isn't that lovely? Love. It's tiny though, you know. My word. Yeah. You then, have such a collection. Yeah. And then this one is Brenda Troyle. And um, I think this one is S. Arnott. Of course, I put in labels and all the <laughs> flipping ink <laughs> washed off. <laughs> so you can tell I'm a real professional. <laughs> Not at all. It's the fun of it. You have to guess. Oh, my. That's my first one with a yellow. See the yellow? That's Spindlestone Surprise or Spindlestone yeah. something or other. Um, you can tell I'm a real galanthophile. Not. Apologies to all of the proper galanthophiles out there. Oh, look. It is Spindlestone Surprise, see? That and you see, to describe stage. it for listeners, there's a little yellow bulbous thing at the end of the stem yeah. and then the little white flower yeah. hangs from that. Yeah, it's lovely, It's isn't beautiful. It? What's the red berry shrub there at the back? Oh, that's a skimmia, um, one of the first ones that we planted here. Uh, you know the way you see skimmias at Christmas time and um, you always see them on sad benches. I'm a great one for scouring sad benches in garden centres. You know when, when, say, the season for... That particular thing has gone over. Mm. A lot of the garden centres don't have time to mine them. So I swoop in and rescue them. <laughs> <laughs> I bring them to sick bay. <laughs> You're a skimmy and nanny for sure. And look at the buds. You know, oh, we're talking know. about what well early spotted. February. Look at those buds ready to just burst forward. Well spotted. Mm. Well spotted. This actually has got a, quite um, a bit of a history. This is a wedding cake tree. We were given it for our wedding and we planted it in the middle of the lawn there. And I never cut the grass my husband doesn't he said it's about time you started cutting the grass and so you can imagine what happened I drove over it anyway oh, no. that was fine because the tree ended up around the size of my thumb but what really mattered was my husband was down the yard and he could hear all the grinding because the stones and the large metal bar that I'd put around it to mark it did 300 euros worth of damage to the lawnmower so I don't cut Ouch. the grass I don't cut the grass and he doesn't wash the crystal so there you go <laughs> 
that's a deal. It's beautiful. It really, really is. And as we walk up here by the house, look at the, you mentioned the crows. Look at them yeah, up there in the trees. There. And you can see, look at, are those nests in the trees there, are they remnants of last year? They are indeed. Hopefully you'll come back during the summer. We gave up counting after about 80 nests. Now, some people don't like them. I love them. Now, they create an awful mess. I'll show you up here. Once a year, we go around with a couple of wheelbarrows and just rake up all the, the, the sticks. And I can see them looking at me going, that's next year's nest. And I say, well, you can go into the ditch and get them out because I'm not having them in the lawn. But they're so entertaining. And it's interesting if you sit here on a summer's evening when the young are hatching out, it's like that the adults, I don't know, I'm sure there must be a, an expert on them somewhere, but it's like they bring them on training flights. Mm. They all lift off and then they wheel off down here, do a big kind of a, a tour down into the valley and come back and they land successfully. So take off and landing. Sorted. <laughs> they are the most intelligent creatures they because they frequent my garden as well in an yeah. urban setting. But if you watch them, they're fascinating. Oh, yeah. And you yeah. must have hours of endless yeah. fun here with them. Let's walk up yeah. along yeah. here and have a look. I have to tell you, folks, there's snowdrops <laughs> everywhere. I thought there were many coming in the gate. Oh, my <laughs> word. They're just all over the place. But they are the real harbingers of spring, spring, aren't they? Absolutely. I mean, actually, my in recent years, my goal has been to plant more winter flowering shrubs and you know bulbs and stuff like that but shrubs and I'm actually going to point this one out to you and get you to take a sniff oh Um, (laughs) look at this for colour at this time of year let me smell it it. oh my word it's beautiful isn't it it's It's uh, beautiful it's a Daphne Belua Jacqueline Postel and isn't it just glorious with the lovely pink blossom and uh, the one thing now I've learned again you learn through trial and error I had one up and it was in the woodland and it was too dark so I decided I'd move it down to this new bed this is mm. our our COVID bed isn't that a dreadful name but anyway we did it during COVID and um, anyway it died and of course then I looked it up afterwards and it says they resent being moved so I just have to pick my spots very carefully and this is full sun and it's. I think it's lovely with the snowdrops underneath I'm going to know? smell it again hold on I know. I can't believe I'm getting that scent in an Irish garden the first week in February. It's amazing. <laughs> it's fantastic. It really is. Oh, it really yeah. is. Yeah. It really so. is. And look at that variegated shrub there yeah. uh, near ground level. Isn't it beautiful too? Yeah. Again, now you'll see as we go around, um, because it's such a big garden and it's myself, my husband and my friend Breda who do all the work. Um, so there's a limit because <laughs> you can only do so much. So there's a lot of, I like to call it relaxed planting. Yeah. Now there's obviously formal areas which you'll see over time but sometimes there's this area is very very difficult because we had two huge lime trees which fell uh, just literally a year after we moved in so there's a lot of old roots there so that's why there's a lot of this kind of I I planted these like little evergreens Mm. uh, in between so the thing is that you said to me before you can have color all year round absolutely you can winter color is, is different. Mm. Um, luckily, a lot of the winter um, flowering things, they also have scent, which is lovely. And it's funny, you're gardening and you suddenly get this smell and you go, what is that? Because you forget about things. Mm. I mean, I, I I always say, oh, snowdrops are my favourite. And then I go, no, hellebores are my favourite. And then I'm like, you know, you get to summer and I'm like, oh, roses are my favourite, you know. And then by the autumn, it's like, oh, hydrangeas and all the beautiful acers and, the, you know. So I'm a bit fickle, but anyway, hey. <laughs> hey, what, what about it? That's Look at that little yeah, fella. I, th- that's going to be fabulous. Now that was a, that's a rare plant that I was looking for for a long time, and um, it's called the 
paper bush tree. In fact, they use it in Japan. They use it for making banknotes. And it's Edgeworthia chrysanthia, but this one is red dragon. See, so it's going to be orange flowers. It's beautiful. Well, I'll be ba- I'll be back. You see, to see these. That's yeah. my plan. Well, let me tell you, you've really wet my appetite today. Thank you. I look not forward to coming back. It's just beautiful. Yeah, I'm well delighted. done to you. Not at all. Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure. My pleasure. Oh, I'll be back for sure. Now, that's just an edited extract from my wander around Rosie's garden, I have to say. I'm going to podcast the full feature uh, after the show today. And if you enjoyed that, you can uh, pick it up on the podcast and uh, listen in as we travel along her wonderful gardens there. And I'm going back to her periodically now, right through the year as the seasons change. But my word, I'll put the pictures up as well of the snowdrops. It's an incredible place. Incredible. Rosie, thanks so much again for inviting me and I will return, I promise. Late Lunch, LMFM Radio. After the break, we have your comedy on Friday and it's Mr Kevin Bridges talking about, well, countries and the national debt. Knock, knock. Who's there? That's how it works. It's called... Comedy? Comedy. Comedy, comedy. Comedy, sir. Comedy. Comedy. Classic comedy. Classic comedy. On the Late Lunch. I love comedy. The politics. I've started buying the big paper. I never knew the big papers were as expensive. I just thought it would just be the same price. No, standing in the queue, news agent, my pound coin, making plans for the change. <laughs> uh, one pound eighty. Do you take card, mate? <laughs> yeah, only if it's over a fiver. Uh, just all right, a Daily Telegraph and sixteen packets of hubba bubba, mate. That's just like, <laughs> I watch it. The Tories, that's what we've got. Reducing the deficit, the economy, that's what's going on. Austerity Britain, making cuts. I watch, I watch them. David Cameron, we must, we must work together to reduce the deficit. That's what's going on. Reducing the deficit. I read about the deficit. Do you know about the deficit, big guy? Do you know Britain's debt? No, £1.5 trillion. That's how much the UK owes somebody. £1.5 trillion. Pound. I don't know who the f*** we owe that to, but surely they've gave up on it. Surely. Surely when it hit the trillion mark, they must have been having their doubts about ever seeing it back. I've enjoyed Greece. I like their attitude. That's how you treat debt. If, if it's a great time. It's got to the end. Everybody's on their case. The IMF, the EU... And they're just telling them to go and f*** themselves. Good on. <laughs> well done, Grace. Angela Merkel on the phone, going f***ing mental. <laughs> Grace, I've just got her on loudspeaker, just laughing at her. <laughs> Sitting, drinking bottles of Ouzo, letting her shout at them. <laughs> You must make the repayment now! <laughs> 240 billion euros! <laughs> Going through books on Greek philosophy, trying to quote their way out of the mess. <laughs> Angela, as Socrates says, <laughs> he is richest who is content with least. That's fucking beauty, man. Any more? <laughs> or as Epicurus said, 
do not spoil what you have by desiring what you have not, Angela. <laughs> yeah, let me talk to you. <laughs> Get on them. Everybody knows somebody like Greece. I've got mates like Greece. They're likeable, but you don't lend them money unless you're prepared to deal with a shite when you try and get it back. Love bug week on late launch or more so what? Bugs you about your love. Kim is on the line from RD this afternoon. Hello, Kim. Hello, Jerry. How are you? I am really good. Well, tell us about... There's a man in your life, I take it, is it? Uh, there is, yeah. Are you married or in a... Re- yeah, married. Married 24 years. Oh, my God. Do you remember the day you tied the knot? I do, yeah. 21st of July. Ah, oh, was it a lovely day? What was the weather like? Oh, well, it was gorgeous. Yeah, it was absolutely... And were you going out with him for long before you married him? Over two years, yeah. Ah, grand. Lovely time. So you knew each other well and you've been blissfully happy ever since. (laughs) Have you children? I have two. Good on you. Ah, gentlemen's family. I'm sure they are looking after you now at this stage. Anyway, you were on to us about this man (laughs) and you said there is something in particular that bugs you. Tell us. (laughs) Yeah, I uh, just uh, the Fippy uh, after he has on his phone and has on his watch and I should look at he's adding up the steps with, with his uh, watch more so than he is with his feet. <laughs> and tell us what he does with the watch in his arm. What does I he do with the arm? He's the kitchen floor, his kitchen, uh, swinging the arm, trying to get as much steps in as possible. <laughs> I'm going to be killed for this. <laughs> oh, listen, I'll tell you what. 20 and many years. Um, oh, well, anyway. 24 and And counting. <laughs> so he's mad into the Fitbit and you... Oh, you mad you, into you, the you, steps. Uh, many steps he can get in a day. <laughs> and you, you look at him swinging this arm and the hope yeah, he can yeah, add to the total. Good, yeah. yeah, and this really yeah, bugs yeah. you. Do you give out to him? Do you say, will you stop I do, that? I'm <laughs> so this is the bugbear at the moment for you. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How many steps does he get in a day? Does he tell you how many he does? Uh, he could be up in 20,000, 24,000 wow. a day, yeah. Oh, listen, I'll, he'll have to give me a piggyback and, yeah. and get my steps up too at this stage, never mind swinging his arm. Uh, anyway, we want you to swing along to Henry's at the Glen side on the south side of Drogheda, wow. heading for Julius. And I have a hundred euro voucher and it's wow. yours today and himself and in and tell him he can't bring the Fitbit I'll be counting the steps going in for the grub yes leave it at home when you're going for the meal anyway thank you for getting in touch with us Kim God bless you take care of yourself bye 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 that's Kim and RD heading to Henry's at the Glenside I'm sure it would when people are obsessed by the steps get to you thank you to everybody who's been in touch all week and uh, good luck to all the winners with us on late lunch after three in the show look ahead to sport with David Sheehan and your number one in the top Five countdown. So you've listeners all over the world on late lunch, and if you're listening abroad today, delighted to have you with us on the show. You see the LMFM app or LMFM.ie. You can listen to us. Catherine McGuinness, hello. Catherine's in Spain today, listening to late lunch on LMFM, and I see little Liam Harney's getting plenty of mentions across the day here on LMFM radio. We'll give him a shout out again. He's from Stamullen and listening with his family in Lanzarote this afternoon. Hello to all of you. Let's reprise our TV theme. 
not Cagney and Lacey, not Heart to Heart, and there are others there as well. That is Charlie's Angels, the team from Charlie's Angels. And the reason we play this, I mentioned the flares. You see, Louise got a brand new pair of flares this week, and that's why we went with Charlie's Angels, and they're absolutely lovely. And when Louise Walsh wears flares, watch this space. A fashion trend is about to engulf Ireland, where all the women in the country, and men too, will be wearing their flares, she tells me, in the near future. She's a dedicated follower of fashion, that's for sure. Anyway, at this time, on late lunch let's do this five four three two one counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear and today it's Yes, this week in 1979, and it's the number one. We start, of course, at the start of the week, <coughs> excuse me, with the, the number five. This week with the bank holiday, we start at four. And the number one is on Friday always. When I tell you that it comes from the album Parallel Lines, what an album that is. I have it at home on vinyl and I think on CD as well. And this song we feature today was the third single from the album, released in January 79, and hitting number one on the UK charts in the month of February. It did in the States as well. Huge seller. Sold uh, 1.4 million copies in the UK at the time. And is an absolute standout song. But there was controversy around it too, which I'll tell you about when we hear it. Anyway, our number one and the top five countdown this week comes from Blondie and Heart of Glass. Yes, our number one of the top five countdown. It's Blondie and Heart of Glass. And the controversy around that song was they were accused of abandoning their principles, being a new wave band at the time. Disco didn't sit with their fans for sure and many of the critics. Mea culpa, I didn't mention who won the TV theme, Charlie's Angels. Christine Ashmore, well done to you. You got it right on our prize and late lunch is heading your way this afternoon. Busy sporting weekend. David Sheen, presenter of Sunday Sport, joins me. Hi, David. How are you doing, Jerry? I'm good. Thanks uh, for being with us again on the show this week. Let's uh, talk about the GAA first and hurling this weekend in Division 3A. Roscommon face loud and 2B Sligo are up against Meath. How do you see those going? Um, I look at the Meath game first. I mean, Meath were relegated last year, as we know. Had a good win against Wicklow last weekend in the first game. Like The reality is Meath should be, should be coming through that division reasonably unscathed if they're going to have any kind of ambitions of progressing on this year they should be getting promotion out of that division Sligo um, didn't get on great last week lost to Donegal who wouldn't be a, a hurling power by any means so I'd expect me to win that to, to win that one with a, with a little bit of spare the Common Loud game Loud beaten at home last weekend by Armagh Common drew with Mayo um, and you know Common beat Loud well last year 221 to 14 in the league so I'd have to you'd have to fancy Common on home soil for that one given last year's result and given the, the results last weekend for the respective counties so I think Common and, and Meath to, to win those two games Watch this space on those let's move to rugby and the Six Nations and it's only the second series of games but already uh, the match in Dublin uh, tomorrow is being uh, said to be the decider of the championship Ireland facing France great win for Ireland and Wales last week France lucky to get past Italy this is the big one isn't it of the of the whole series 
Huge, huge, and tickets going for thirteen hundred euros, which is a day's uh, work for you, Jerry. So uh, it's going to be it's going to be a big one over in the Aviva. It's it's going to be interesting one to see how it goes because Ireland missing Dan Sheehan, who's a big loss uh, at hooker, uh, and maybe in, in times gone by a hooker wouldn't be that big of a, a miss for for a team. But Sheehan is such a dynamic player in the loose as well, so he's going to be a big miss for them. And Tyke Furlong, of course, already out through injury, missed the game last weekend. So two big misses for Ireland there. As you said, France, like they came through that game last week. They scored that try with, with about 14 minutes to go for Matthew Jalabert. It wasn't exactly last gasp stuff from them. And they may have gone into that one a little bit complacent or mining themselves a little bit for this weekend because that was the game everybody had their eyes on. Possible implications for the World Cup down the road as well. But everyone will just be trying to get, get across the line this weekend and, and see what happens. It's going to be, it's a toss of a coin, really. I think Ireland are slight favourites for this one. But, uh, you know, your guess is as good as mine, Jerry. I think the the old cliche of which France will turn up has kind of gone out the window in the last couple of years under Fabien Galtier. They have been really consistent. So you can expect France to, to turn up and to give it everything and to um, to perform close to their best. I'm going to give Ireland a two or three point nod here, but it's it's really anybody's guess. It should be should be a fantastic occasion. It should be a fantastic game. I saw Andy Farrell saying he wishes he was going along to it with his mates. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, he doesn't have that. He doesn't have that luxury. But uh Ireland just to squeak it, but it's it's a really tight one. It, it should be an absolutely fantastic occasion. And uh, yeah, if anyone is uh, take a go and spare, let me know. <laughs> well, I wish you well with that one there. The like hen's teeth, as they say, and of course in a in a World Cup year as well, this is even more significant. Now the other two games, I take it we'll say or you'll say England will account for Italy, but it's a fascinating game with Scotland and Wales. Scotland beating England last week, and you know you mm. can't discount the Scots. No, um, but they have such a history of producing these big performances against the big teams. And like they've got a really good record against England the last four or five years, but they never really seem to back it up. And I was listening to a few previews this week, and basically it was, you know, come back to me when you beat Wales was the sort of line on Scotland. It was that they've, they've done it before against the bigger sides, but they just haven't really backed it up. And they'll, they'll come out and put in a really poor performance after a really good one. But I do think they'll get the win on this occasion. Wales... Look fairly bedraggled last week. They're missing a few big hitters this weekend, and they're, they're an aging side. Like Warren Gatland had an awful lot of guys over 30 years of age last week. Alan Wynne Jones played last week, won't play this weekend. But I do think Scotland will get the win there. They did look really good last week against England. They're a bit more, they're, they're a younger side, they're a quicker side. I think they have a bit more dynamism in the back line than Wales do. So unless Wales can just shut up shop and, and play it in the forwards and dig it out with penalties I, I don't think they'll come away with anything from that one so I, I tip Scotland yeah and England obviously should beat Italy but you never know but England should win that one There you go so Ireland, Scotland and England for David Sheehan this weekend in the Six Nations now let's turn to the Premier League and well uh, the, certainly last weekend uh, for the leaders uh, they'd want to forget it Arsenal losing at Everton Man City losing at Tottenham and uh, Man United only drawing with Leeds uh, during the week mm. Arsenal-Brentford tomorrow really from the Gunners point of view they've got to win this game yeah I think they do they, it's, they've only lost twice this season obviously the second one was last weekend after I tipped them to, to come away with a handy win but uh, Sean Dyche had other ideas for that one but they, they were beaten by Manchester United earlier this season they bounced straight back and got back on the roll on the winning run after that so I think it is important um, that they, they do get back to winning ways they haven't really shown any, any major signs of, of yips or, or nerves just yet Last weekend was a, was a kind of a flat performance from them. Everton were, were very good and were, were at and about them. But back on home soil, and Brentford are a good side. Like, Jerry, if, if Brentford were to win tomorrow, they're knocking on the door of the Champions League places, you mm. know. So they'll be up for it. And Thomas Frank is a really astute coach as well. But back at home, 
I think Arsenal will be will be really determined to make up for that. And, and you know, if they weren't, if they were not to win that game, if they were to drop points there, then it wouldn't be maybe looking as good for them, certainly as it was. But back at home, I'd expect them to get the win there and, and, and to bounce back from last weekend's defeat. And they play Man City uh, next Wednesday evening at the Emirates as well. That's a huge game in midweek. City themselves mm. have Villa, Villa as visitors on Sunday. Home win? You'd imagine so. I mean, Villa have improved a little bit under um, Unai Emery, but, uh, you know, at home, Manchester City, you'd imagine they should be getting the win there. I mean, we've seen them drop points this season against Everton, for example, when Frank Lampard was still in charge. And they have been spluttering a little bit this, this this last few weeks. They haven't been playing well. You mentioned the Spurs game last weekend. Spurs doing Arsenal a favour there. But I think City at home to Villa, that's that's a game they really should be winning. If they weren't to win that one, if they were to drop points there, that would be a disaster mm. for them. But yeah, they should be picking up all three points there, Man City. Man United 2-2 with Leeds. They play them again this weekend, uh, whatever yeah. way the fixtures have gone. Can they win at Leeds or will Leeds take comfort from um, that draw? Yeah, well, the, the, the gate... The game in midweek was refixed because of the Queen's death whenever it was back in August. So, um, And I was coming home on Wednesday looking forward to watching it and it wasn't on TV anywhere because the original game wasn't fixed for television so they couldn't then put it on, which seems bizarre. But yeah, it's going to be a really interesting game. I mean, Jesse Marsh is gone and they got the, as people were describing it, the no-manager bounce on Wednesday night when they got that two-all draw. Back at home soil, two o'clock Sunday, Ellen Road will be absolutely rocking. Uh, I think Lees will take a point out of that one. Okay, draw on that one there. And then finally on Monday, it's the uh, Merseyside Derby. Liverpool at home to Everton. Everton with that win over Arsenal. Great start for Deitch. Will Liverpool stay up? Yeah. <laughs> I think they'll just about survive. Yeah, I think they will. But um, they're, in, they're in an absolutely incredibly bad run. It's it's hard to believe. And we saw Jurgen Klopp last week getting a little bit a little bit agitated with the journalist and I think he, he actually it actually turned out he had the wrong end of the stick he had mistaken who he was talking in terms of the story that was written that he was he was referring to or he seemed to be referring to that was a speculation anyway yeah Liverpool just all over the place at the moment the, the, the mood seems to be bad in the camp they've got a lot of injuries uh, it all just seems to be coming apart for them and, and Klopp seems to be at a loss as to, as to what's gone wrong um, and Everton after that win against Arsenal last week new new manager in Sean Dyche he will be absolutely loving going to Anfield and, and trying to come away with something there I I think Everton might get the win there. Yeah, I think they, I think they might sneak it. But I, I, I do think Liverpool are just in such a bad run at the minute. They just can't seem to snap out of it. But um, yeah, I, I, I think Everton might just come away with something there. <laughs> Monday night, tongue in cheek. Of course, I'm saying that about Liverpool. Um, not at all. They won't. But they're having a bad time of it. And suddenly, the man with I the just, most. Go on. Just one other, just one other game. Sorry, Jerry. I think the other game to keep an eye on is the Southampton Wolves game because Nathan Jones, who's only in the job a wet week there, he came out with some really bizarre yes. comments during the week, which have not gone down well at all. And that's another one to watch. We talked a few weeks ago about the, the uh, West Ham-Everton game and whoever lost, Lampard or, or Moyes, may lose their job. It was Lampard on that occasion. I think if Southampton lose at home to Wolverhampton Wanderers this weekend, Nathan Jones is gone. God, he'll be in the same boat as uh, Liz Truss, the shortest-serving uh, <laughs> Southampton manager <laughs> and prime minister in history. There you go. David, thanks so much for joining us again. Appreciate it. Thanks, Sherry. Take care. So that's David Sheehan there, a presenter of Sunday Sport. Bring down the curtain on the week on Late Lunch. Thanks to all our guests. Thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us every day. We love your company. Eddie Caffrey's getting ready to roll uh, with the drive and more besides over the next couple of hours. Stay with us here on LMFM Radio. Big thank you to my producer, Louise Walsh. Couldn't do this without her. And, of course, we're getting all set for next week. Back here on Monday, 1.30. Do join us then. Have a lovely weekend. We'll see you at the start of a brand new week.